Blaine and Mickey, 104.5 The Zone, hour number two, halfway through the hump day show. Welcome to halfway through the week. Really, you're further than that at this point. It's dang 2.05. You should just go home and start your weekend. You have our permission. Yes. We don't don't want people to get fired, you know, then they'll be at home listening to us all day. 100% if that happens, say Lucas (laughs) Panzeca said that I'm done with my work week. Lucas Panzeca. Lucas? Why'd you bring Lucas into this? I don't know. I'm just blame Lucas. Hashtag blame Lucas. Oh, man. The bosses will understand. Just tell him Lucas sent you. So, so Derrick Henry just did Derrick Henry things, and Austin uh, Stanley from A to Z Sports joined us earlier this week, and he had tweeted us we were doing the post game show on Sunday night, and we're just talking about Derrick Henry getting 182 yards. Like, yeah, he got 182 this game, and you know, it, we're just talking about it like you'd said. Yeah, it rained yesterday, but maybe it won't rain anymore today. And this is a human being in the NFL who just run for 182 yards, who had played a career high in snaps, who had had a career high in carries, and who had had a career high in catches. And, and we're just talking about him like, well, we expect this because this is Derrick Henry. This is just what he does. Well, Derrick Henry, uh, again, 182 yards, three TDs, three TDs again on a career-high 35 carries. He had a career-high six receptions for 55 yards. He played 67 snaps, which, again, was the most he'd ever played. He became the fourth player in NFL history with 10 career games. And we we got into this a little bit uh, on Monday, Blaine, but here's here's the full stat. He's the fourth player in NFL history with 10 career games where he has 150 rushing yards and two rushing TDs. Mm. So he's he's got 10. This is, what, sixth year. So there's a lot more of Derrick Henry, I would imagine, to come down the road. He's got 10. Here's the list. Well, yeah, you know I know the list. There's only two people ahead of him, right? LT and uh, Jim Brown? It's, there's a third one, Ooh. Barry Sanders. Ooh. He's got the same number. Jim Brown has 13. A lot of people think Jim Brown might, It's and it's, a, it's all subjective, a lot of people think Jim Brown might be the greatest football player who ever lived. He's got 13 of these. Derrick Henry's already got 10. LaDainian Tomlinson has 12. Barry Sanders has 10. Derrick Henry has the same number of those games as Barry Sanders, who a lot of people think might be the greatest running back who ever lived. And this is a huge human being with unbelievable speed and power. He's got 6,100 rushing yards. That's the number that he hit total on Sunday. So here's what I thought I'm going to look up because we have this discussion a lot when you talk about like Freddie Taylor and we talk about great running backs from the past. Oh yeah, I was just talking about him today. And we I know I know you have that utmost respect for Freddie Taylor. Another radio shows. <laughs> and he fits into this what I was going to tell you. Okay. So this is cuz we keep talking about running backs and we always have the question and we get to like okay, what's the number then that if you hit that number that that's like getting the key to the Hall of Fame that you unlock the door. What's that number? Do you know what the number is? We talked about it a lot. Well, it used to be 10,000. And that you know Eddie's just uh, above that, so I thought it was that, but I, I think there's a lot more tentacles to that. Uh, I think you know yards per uh, carry, uh, your breakaway ability, uh, long runs, as well as your success with your team. Yep, I think there's you know so. Uh, <laughs> so Fred Taylor, I think did Fred Taylor get a Super Bowl ring with uh, New England? Believe he did before he finished. He played in a Super Bowl. I know that. Now, okay. now they what? They lost two of them to Eli. He may have played in one of the ones they lost. Um, but he was a man. I, I man, I put him up there at the top, like top, top, almost like number one. And I don't even know his yardage. 
I base everything off of what I think I see and how I, I say how teams approach them and how they try to stop them, uh, how much they impact the actual individual game, even if they don't have statistically those big numbers. Like Derrick Henry's impacting the game even when he has a 60-yard game. Mm-hmm. You know, 60 yards, oh, he carried the ball 20 times. Right. Well, he impacted the game. He opened the door for Tannehill. And so, uh, and that's why I gave, and this shows you how the league views this team. They think Eddie, I mean, Eddie George, Derrick Henry is the key. Mm-hmm. Well, in this game, I thought Tannehill was the key. I disagree with this whole, you know, nothing to take away from Henry. He did a heck of a job and he showed who he was. But Tannehill opened up the key this game because he was able to throw the ball and then Henry was able, able to run the ball. Yep. Yeah, but if you go look at the – and, by the way, Tannehill threw for 347. Sure did. Yeah, so, it, it you know. But, Henry, you know, he had, what, three TDs or whatever in 180. Three TDs, yeah, over 200. 35 carries, six catches. I mean, man, it, you know, those are unbelievable stats in the NFL when you're just one guy. <laughs> and, you know, he – it's funny because I'm getting – now my expectations are I'm getting so comfortable that that doesn't surprise me what he just did. Right. And that's that's horrible for me to even say it. But we're also used to it. Yeah. So I think that kind of hurts maybe my viewpoint. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I mean, that is unbelievable out there what he's doing. I mean, and he, I, I, I'm going to say this. He just does not look like he's going to slow down. And it can happen actually in the middle of the season, at the right. end of the season. It could never happen until two years from now. Right. Because you always just think it's got to happen at some point. For whatever reason, I believe it's not here in the next year or two. I just don't. So he's the as, as Blaine alluded to. He's the AFC Offensive Player of the Week. That's he's won it again. Derrick Henry. Here's the Hall of Fame stat that's interesting. That you said that gets you into the Hall of Fame. This is going to get you the number that no no one with twelve thousand yards or more rushing is not in the Hall of Fame. Everybody with twelve thousand or more, except for Frank Gore and Adrian Peterson, and, and they will be in soon enough. They'll both go in. Oh, I remember I had a huge discussion about Frank Gore that he is going to get it because you could say he was on horrible teams or not. <laughs> he rushed for over 12,000 yards. I'm sorry. He's at 16,000 even is where Frank is. Yeah, I mean, that's hard. I mean, longevity is part of. Has to be. In it, baseball, it counts. It. In baseball, though, you'll but, get in hey, for longevity. It has to count. We, we see Ezekiel Elliott. You see you see him? Yep. Man, he just looks like a good, solid running back now. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, that will be, if those guys get in, and they will, that will be 16 people who have 12,000 or more rushing yards. So Derrick Henry is more than halfway there. He's got 6,100. The first guy with the highest total who is not in the Hall of Fame is Fred Taylor. How many yards is Fred He has the highest total to not be in the Hall of Fame, 11,695. He is not in. Everybody, he almost got everybody above him is in or will be in. Freddie T. Yeah. And Fred, Fred probably doesn't even know that I just felt like he was one of the better backs that I faced because uh, he's still probably perturbed about the, the losses. <laughs> but, uh, hey, man, he was – Freddie T was there in my mind. Besides maybe him pulling muscles, there was nothing that he wasn't exceptional at. Yeah. Blocking, running, breakaway ability, catching. There was nothing that he couldn't do. Everybody has a notch on them like, ah, they're just good at this. Even in the Hall of Fame, they were solid. They weren't great at it. Well, there's nothing to me that he wasn't great at. 
least the times I face him and the times I watch the film. You said he would also whack you when he was blocking, like pass so said, block. He blocking, would come after you. His, his blocking. Yeah. Yeah, man. I, yeah, he hit me one time. I said, oh, he tried to actually hurt me. Yeah. He, I mean, he hit me in my ear. I think that thing is it, still ringing. I mean, he, he did. I was like, oh, he tried to, he tried to bamboozle me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and actually, it, it made like a, a real talk, made like a tear come to my eye. Mm-hmm. It hurt that bad. And I gritted my mouth with my mouthpiece and looked at him like, payback is going to be a mofo. <laughs> did you get him? Oh, did I? Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'll put a, If you want me to put a video out there, I tried to annihilate him. At the same time, I think I knocked myself out, but I refused to come out. I'll be waiting for that I video. Tried to, I, when I talk about this word called uncoil, okay, this is what people are like, hey, man, what were you doing there? I said I uncoiled on them. They, they never asked me what that means. <laughs> and I means I literally exploded into him like I was trying to run through him. Whoa. And it shows on this tape. And that was an AFC championship game. And actually, Mike Jones was helping me up because I sat down on one of our players after I hit him. Like, I didn't wrap up or anything. Right. It was like, mano y mano, we're going down this tunnel, and we want to see who, who's going to say chicken and move to the other way. And I was not. And he was not. But he went backwards. And I went on my butt. <laughs> but I didn't fall. Okay. I, I fell over somebody's feet. I mean, I got tangled up. But right. I, I uncoiled. I unleashed the hitman bomb. Okay. Well, we're yeah. going to be looking for that video at bbishop23 on Twitter. Uh, we'll help you find that. <laughs> it's, it's already on my Instagram before from uh, last year when they played Jaguars. I posted it. Yeah, a lot of Jaguars uh, players and fans were pissed. Tell me, we're going to relive this? Like, I was just showing you the hit, bro. <laughs> you know what Derrick Henry's on pace for this year? Just curious. At, through two games, only two well, games. He's averaging 120 a game. You know what? I, that, I can do math. So. You know what that's on pace for? I would guess around 1,800. Two, zero, four, zero, <laughs> 2,040 yards in 17 games. 2,040 yards in 17 and I, games. I still believe if he gets 15, 16, that's still a heck of a run. Yeah, nobody's ever done it after 2K. Yeah. Most guys have fallen off I'm a cliff. I'm 15, 16 because they got another game. They yep. have, you know, 17 games. So, man, he, he's, man he's, he's an impressive individual, and he's a freak of nature. I mean, he's both he, of those things. Yeah, I don't know if he reminds Maybe he's the Jim Brown of this era. I didn't ever see Jim Brown. That was before my time. But I know you were You were. A- <laughs> <laughs> he did retire. He did retire before I was born. But you know me. I'm a history student of NFL football. I've watched a lot of tape on Jim Brown. Yeah. He was bigger. Jim Brown I was a, the Pruitt brothers. It, it, Jim Brown was a modern football player for now playing in the 60s, in the 50s and 60s. He looked like a guy from now playing in the 50s and 60s. He was the biggest, baddest, strongest, fastest cat, and he just destroyed people. He rushed for over 18. Every time I watch his highlight, I think he rushed for what? 1,864, I believe, but that was in, in how eight. many games? Uh, they were playing, I believe, 14 at that point. Yeah. When every time I see the highlights, I think of, was he then what Bo Jackson was? Granted, his career was shorter, but like the, the size, speed. Yes. Power element just it just looks like it, and it's also like a Hall of Fame level lacrosse player, Jim Brown. So he was even like Bo in multiple sports, yeah, and an actor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. After he finished, and no doubt, and quit. He quit the NFL at the top of his game to go to Hollywood. All right, we got to quit this segment at the top of its game because Jordan Dejani is going to join us next to talk. 
NFL football. It's Blaine and Mickey, 104.5 The Zone. Blaine and Mickey, 104.5 The Zone. Uh, our buddy Alex Apple has tweeted the uncoiling tweeted? of, of Blaine Bishop <laughs> on Fred Taylor. He found it on my Instagram. <laughs> yes, he did. He went and found it. So I will retweet that from Blaine and Mickey. So uh, go jump on the Blaine train and Mickey uh, tell me, on Twitter. Tell me what you think about that hit of someone who I think is a Hall of Fame running back. Uh that he probably made me cry when in that game when he ear hold me in. Let's put blitz. it this way. <laughs> Everything stopped. You can hear the announcer go, oh! <laughs> and it, it sounds like Greg Gumble, And you can hear him literally groan when you hit him. And he is like flat on his back. And you are on your butt just sitting sort of on the pile. Yeah, sit down somebody. And yeah. you said... Greg Jones kind of grabs your arm and is like, okay. No, Mike, Mike Jones. Yeah, Mike, Mike Jones. Jones. Yeah, Greg did. Jones I went to elementary school with. Yes, yeah. Mike Jones. He I, grabbed me because he could see in my eyes. They probably would roll up in the back of my head. I, 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 was, I lost where I was at. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if Fred T. knew where uh, he was after that either, to be honest with you. That was, yeah. uh, that was a, a whack. Uh, Jordan yeah. Dejani joins <laughs> us right now. We know where he is. Heck, he's a Nashville guy. CBS Sports. Uh, Jordan, have you ever seen – the uncoiling of the hitman on Fred Taylor, or do you remember? <laughs> Nobody or do you remember that, that play no. from the AFC Championship? He remembers McNair Reddit. Hey, what's going on, guys? Thanks for having me on. So I just saw it on Twitter, and I was getting ready to pull up the link before the producer called. So as soon as I get off this radio hit, I'm definitely going to view it. <laughs> Well, it's worth your time. We've been watching on a loop. Well, Blame is doing commercials. Yeah, I was watching get Fred it on Taylor mad at me again. I know. Here we go. He's gonna come oh, at again. Yeah, he's gonna tell me to come on his podcast so he can rip me. <laughs> like I remember when I ran you over. <laughs> well, uh, you, you got him back there, and uh, you can always point at the scoreboard too from from uh, that game. So Jordan Dejani, our guest, joins us this time every week. Hey, man, uh, did your ulcer medicine work for you on Sunday as the Titans somehow? in a miracle went to, well, Kansas City or Seattle, maybe the two toughest places to play. They went to one of those places, and they won in the most unimprobable of fashions. Oh, man. Yeah, you bring up the word improbable. I think it was improbable in so many different uses of the word. I mean, in a hostile environment against a high-flying NFC West team that hadn't lost a home opener in 11 or 12 years, down double digits entering the third quarter, and the way the Titans orchestrate their comeback is on the legs and shoulders of Derrick Henry. I mean, you don't see that when you see a road team pull off a comeback victory like the Titans did. And Man, you know, you can't take away anything from what this Tennessee did and the heart that they showed on the field Sunday in Seattle. But at the same time, I do feel like the Seahawks kind of lifted their foot up the gas just a little bit in the second half. They couldn't get the ground game going to help run down the clock. The defense let up in the second half. The passing attack did not look the same as it did in the first half, apart from a Freddie Swain 68-yard touchdown. This Tennessee Titans team, I mean, this could be a huge win moving forward that could propel them momentum-wise into the regular season. Were you impressed with the overall officiating in that game? <laughs> no, I can't say that I was. Uh, <laughs> not very much. Uh, there were some questionable penalty flags, and I definitely thought Julio Jones caught a touchdown as well just before the halftime break. Not sure what the refs were looking at and reviewing that. Maybe they were focused on one part of the foot as opposed to the foot in general, I don't know. I was trying to do mental gymnastics with myself to try to see exactly what they were seeing. But, yeah, overall, it was pretty confusing on Sunday. Yeah, uh, between the missed first down, between the Julio thing, which the Titans have a picture where you can see green between uh, Julio's heel. Uh, 
the dang the safety that wasn't a safety. It's hard to pick which one was the most egregious. We had Coach Mack on yesterday, and he was like, I was looking at the coaches. They were in the room next door. I'm signaling safety to them, and then all of a sudden they just decided it was a sack. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it was unbelievable. I, there were so many calls that were questionable, and I thought there were some big calls as well. But, man, officiating has definitely been a hot topic through the first two weeks of the NFL season, especially when it comes to the whole taunting role. And I'm sure it's going to be something we discuss moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and we'll always discuss it. Again, same bat time, same bat channel. Jordan Dejani of CBS Sports here on Blaine and Mickey. Well, Jordan, I want to move on now that that game is over. Now that they won, we can go into details <laughs> on all about that. But I want to know a little bit about Carson Wentz and what he looked like at least these first two weeks. I didn't think he played really bad. I thought he was solid. I know he gave the shovel pass before he got injured. He probably won't play. And then kind of take us through what do you think Eason – you know, and the coaching staff and, and, and Reich uh, will call for him based off what he did in the preseason because I thought he looked better than people are giving credit for it in the preseason for what it's worth. He got a lot of reps, and now he'll be the starter in all of week and be pre- you know, prepared and can go out there and perform at least enough uh, to get the job done. Yeah, I would agree with that. I remember sitting down and talking with you about the preseason and the Colts quarterbacks was kind of an interesting storyline during the exhibition season. Jacob Easton looked pretty good. So it'll be interesting to see what he can do and what it's going to be his first professional action. That is, if he does start on Sunday. Now, as for Carson Wentz, you know, I did watch that Rams-Colts game on Sunday. As someone who had Rams minus three and a half, I was pretty nauseous throughout the entire matchup. But, <laughs> yeah. But, 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 but yeah, Carson Wentz played a little bit better. I mean, he went 20 of 31, 247 yards, uh, touchdown. You brought up the shovel pass interception. He looked a little better. I thought he played well off of his playmakers better in week two. I mean, Jonathan Taylor only had 51 yards on the ground, but I mean, we know that he's a playmaker that the Colts want to center their offense around. Then Michael Pittman Jr. had somewhat of a breakout game. He had eight catches for 123 yards. He's a budding star in this league and a prospect that many tabbed as someone who is going to take a leap forward here in 2021. So he could be kind of a matchup misadvantage for the Titans secondary. That is if Wentz is playing or if Jacob Eason can uncork the deep ball. But man, when it, when you watch the Colts, it really came down to those red zone turnovers. They had two in like the first half where they weren't able to get the job done. And they had another red zone possession in the second half that was aided by a Kenny Young personal foul and what turned into an ejection so this Colts team I mean they definitely have their question marks they're 0-2 for a reason they have question marks in the secondary especially I mean uh, Matthew Stafford got whatever he wanted against this defense so did Russell Wilson in week one I think that's what the Titans have to look for as they enter this matchup is what they can do to build on Julio Jones big game last Sunday well I'm looking at the stats you tell me defensively for the Colts I just don't see, uh, you know, Darius Leonard and, and Buckner. I, the numbers aren't standing out to me. So what's going on with their defense? Is it just that they the opponent they play throw the ball more? Yes, it's that. But it's also schematically, I think that they try to spread the field out a little bit because that, that kind of limits the impact Darius Leonard can have on the game if he's going to be playing in the box. And you're also going to do that because, um, you know, if you spread the ball out, especially you come out in a spread formation kind of look, then you're going to limit the time that uh, the, the defensive front four has to get to the quarterback as well. But all in all, you're, you're, you're lining up like that. And you're taking these shots down the field and trying to get the ball to receivers as quickly as possible. Because in my mind, the Colts secondary is the weakness on this team. So if you want to win games and score points against this defense, that's how you're going to do it. 
Well, naturally, I, my favorite player, Aaron Rodgers, had something to say. He was talking to you, I think, Jordan, too, man, when he said, <laughs> you guys are trolling me, and I told you to, to just slow down and and because I didn't practice and I held out and all that. Well, what do you think now? So you can yeah, hold back even, for a week. <laughs> yeah, he looks great. I don't remember what I said on the show last week, no, but I, I thought I did a good job of holding back. Yeah, I think we all knew that week one was going to be a throwaway game for this Packers team. And, you know, they did start slow against the Lions. And in the first half, it really looked like Jared Goff was slinging it around. But they were able to get together, come together, um, you know, take another look at what the defense was giving them at the halftime break. And they were able to key in on um, some advantages they had on offense. One specifically being what Aaron Jones did in the receiving game. They played a lot of man on him, especially with linebackers, uh, namely Jamie Collins, who struggled against him. So they got the ball out to Aaron Jones a lot in the passing game. And sure enough, he scored three touchdowns. So this Packers offense obviously has, you know, elite potential. We already understand that. Um, but this was also a big win, just like for the Tennessee Titans. Moving forward now into week three, which team is going to show up? And it's going to be the one, in my mind, that had offensive success. The 49ers are definitely a really good defensive team, but Aaron Rodgers seems like he has this team as a whole on the right track. And lastly for me, Jordan, uh, we're on with Jordan Dijani, NFL writer for CBS Sports. And that is, are the Raiders for real? I'm glad you brought this up. The, the Raiders have been one of my favorite teams to watch so far. And, you know, they, they, over the past couple of years, they've experienced inconsistency on both sides of the ball, really, especially on defense. But they got a new defensive coordinator in there who I think is getting the most out of his talent. They have two of my favorite defensive players in the league to watch, and pass rusher Max Crosby and then also strong safety Jonathan Abram, who's one of the hardest-hitting guys in the league, in my opinion. And I love how aggressive he is around the ball, even if it sometimes gets to, it, he ends up getting stiff-armed by Najee Harris off the <laughs> sideline. But, I mean, this Raiders defense is better than they were last year, and this offense is clicking as well. Henry Ruggs is finally getting his touches. We know that Darren Waller is one of the best players at tight end in the league. And Derek Carr has that potential. When, he, when he's working the scheme and when he, he's finding a rhythm with himself, he's one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL. And I think the offensive line has been doing an okay job at keeping him protected as well. But we've seen this before. The Raiders have started off hot in years past and then have faded as the season goes on. But I'm starting to think that there is something different about this team, that hopefully some of the coaching changes they made and some of the moments where they have where they come together and kind of reevaluate the schedule and what they want to do offensively and defensively. They added some playmakers on both sides of the ball. This Raiders team, you know, I don't think they have contender status in them, but they can be any team on any given Sunday. On uh, with uh, Jordan Dijani, NFL writer for CBS Sports. All right, Jordan, I had a Raiders question too. Blaine got that out, but here, here's the second half of my question that I had written down involving the Raiders. So only two teams in the whole AFC are undefeated. It's the Raiders and the Broncos. That's the only two AFC teams. Are st- <laughs> hey, man, if you had that in your office pool, that they'd be the last two undefeated, not the Chiefs, not the Ravens. Not, I mean, pretty amazing. Which one of those teams do you like best? to be a playoff team at the end of the year. Because I'll say this, there were a bunch of people that were on the Broncos hype train before the year. I I didn't necessarily believe that, but at least real nice start for them so far. Yeah, it's pretty amazing that these are the two undefeated teams in the AFC, and they reside in the toughest AFC division in my mind. It's funny that the Chiefs are currently sitting tied for third slash fourth place behind (laughs) these Raiders and Broncos teams. 
But you know what? I think the Raiders have played a toughest or the a tougher schedule than the Broncos up to this point. The yeah. Broncos played the Giants, and then they just played the Jacksonville Jaguars. Those were kind of gimmies, and I don't know what kind of deal they made with the NFL schedule makers. But they played the Jets now this week, so they're going to move to three and zero. But you know, if you ask me that question, my answer honestly, I'm leaning towards the Denver Broncos, and. I got to admit, I was questioning the decision to roll with Teddy Bridgewater over Drew Locke because I thought it significantly handicapped your offense in terms of its ability to go down the field. But I always admitted that this Broncos team could be a playoff team if they just worked off of their playmakers. And I think they've done a really good job with that through two weeks. Teddy Bridgewater is not a bad quarterback. We know that. He's just not a guy who's going to light up the box score for 400 yards and four touchdowns. Also, they have a great running back duo, Javante Williams, Melvin Gordon, a very good offensive line. I already mentioned the wide receivers, but this defense has the potential to be one of the better ones in the NFL as well, especially when it comes to their safety duo and their cornerbacks as well. So that's why I have to lean towards the Broncos when it comes to these two AFC West teams who look like they have dynamic potential moving forward. Jordan Dejani, our guest. Um, imagine a world where you're the Houston Texans and you have one of the I don't know, top five quarterbacks in the league and things are just so out of sorts legally in every which way with this guy that you're going to start Davis Mills on Sunday and not even consider Deshaun Watson. Are we any closer to any kind of a resolution to this in any possible way? So to answer your question, no, I don't think we are closer, but at the same time, I don't have, you know, my thumb on the beat of this, of this story. And, you know, all we know is what we can go off that's being reported. And to be honest with you, we haven't seen anything major reported along the lines of this story in months, many months. So we, we really don't know. We're kind of sticking, sitting here wondering, you know, is Deshaun Watson refusing to play? Are they waiting for a really good trade off? Are they waiting for the NFL to hand down a punishment? We just don't know. But, I mean, I don't know when the next development's going to come in this story as well. I almost wonder if everyone's kind of waiting for the NFL to complete their investigation. But then we can dive into what exactly does completing an investigation mean? Because the NFL would look really dumb if they jump the gun and hand down what's a six or ten game suspension. And then all of a sudden Deshaun Watson, you know, is indicted on charges and has to go to court. So I don't know what necessarily we're waiting on when it comes to this. All we really know is that Deshaun Watson is not going to play for the Texans moving forward. Man, what a mess. Uh, Jordan Dejani joining us here on Blaine and Mickey talking all things NFL. Well, since we're talking about quarterbacks, did Jameis Winston become Jameis Winston again? (laughs) (laughs) Man, I'm the biggest Jameis Winston apologist in the world, and I was so happy after that week one win over the Packers. But – I knew that he wasn't going to be throwing five touchdowns every single game for 17 games. But when I watched the film on this Panthers game, I think it's a a lot similar to what we watched with the Packers in week one. This is a throwaway game on both sides of the ball because the Saints had to deal with having half of their offensive coaches out due to COVID. They they dealt with the minor, minor COVID outbreak. This is the second straight week they've been on the road without being home because of the difficulties that are going on in New Orleans. The Saints also had their top two cornerbacks out due to injury. And to make matters worse, they, they didn't have McCoy on the offensive line, which if you watch the film, really led to some discombobulation when it came to not only run blocking, but especially pass blocking and keeping Jameis Winston upright. It looked like the Saints kind of put the game plan on Jameis Winston's shoulders, which is something you don't want to do when he's playing his second game in this new system with Sean Payton, and half of his offensive coaching staff is not even present at the stadium to help him with the defensive looks that he's looking at. 
Now I want to bring something else up. I don't know if how many people know this, but the Carolina Panthers currently, out of two after two games, have the number one defense in the NFL. So yep. you got to give them credit as well. But no, I'm not. I, I don't. I don't. I look at that as a throwaway a, a, a performance for Jameis Winston and the Saints as a whole. Hopefully, they can get back on the right track against Bill Belichick and the, and the Patriots. But we'll see. It was an interesting game, but I didn't learn too much from that. Mm, good point there about the defense. Uh, naturally, there's a lot of quarterbacks already beat up and may miss this game. I mean, we got the Titans playing, may not, probably won't play Wentz. You got Tyrod Taylor, Big Ben is banged up, Dalton or Fields. I mean, I don't know who's playing. Of all those quarterbacks that are banged up, which team is going to miss their quarterback the most if they don't play? Yeah, that's a good question. And, yeah, it'll be interesting to see Justin Fields start on Sunday because he's going to against the Browns. But for the, the team that's going to miss their quarterback the most, I'm leaning towards the Miami Dolphins and Tua Tungavailoa. And this is such a tough story because it's a rib injury. He's not going to miss the whole season or anything. But when he came into the league, he obviously was dealing with health issues and also had the red flag of, you know, can this guy play through injuries and stay healthy uh, through the rigors of a long NFL season? And I don't think we've been able to see that from Tua just yet, which is why I'm starting to wonder, you know, is he really going to be the franchise quarterback for this team in three or four years? Now, I think he has the talent to be that guy, but he has to stay healthy and take these regular season reps for him to truly develop. And sure enough, he can't get through two weeks without getting cracked on his right side and breaking those ribs. So the Dolphins, you know, they're a team similar to what I was talking about with the Broncos, where they're not going to put the game completely on their quarterback. They're going to try to work off of their playmakers. That's what they added in free agency. They like the running backs they have as well. So this Dolphins team, they're really hampered by having to start Jacoby Brissett now. Jordan, thanks for the time today, man. Always love catching up with you, and uh, the NFL season is here. It's fun talking about it every week. The ratings are huge for games. I mean, it's uh, it just never stops at NFL juggernaut. Love discussing it with you. People can uh, check you out on Twitter at Jordan Dejani or at CBS Sports. Thanks for the time today, bud. Appreciate it, Jordan. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Peace. All right, we'll let Jordan go when we come back. Ryan Tannehill talking about this week's AFC Offensive Player of the Week, Derrick Henry. We've got that. We also have this, A.J. Brown talking about drops. Yep. That's next. Blaine and Mickey, 104.5 The Zone. Blaine and Mickey, 104.5 The Zone. So, uh, Derrick Henry is your AFC Offensive Player of the Week. 182 yards rushing, three touchdowns on a career-high 35 carries and had a career-high six receptions for 55 yards on a career-high 67 snaps. Anytime you think, I can't do any more than that, well, then he just goes and does more than that. Uh, It's just amazing. His quarterback got asked some questions about him today. I mean, he's the one who hands the ball to him every time and then gets a front-row seat to all these exploits. That's what Ryan Tannehill said about Derrick Henry. I don't think there's any amazement. You know, I think... He's proven what he could do, and he and he goes out and does it. You know, I think that uh, it's awesome to see see what he can do, but there, I don't think there's any amazement. I think that, uh, like I said, he's shown what he can do. He's tough. He's physical. He is durable, um, and he makes big plays. So uh, excited to see him. You know, when you see him kind of round the corner and and one on one with with a DB, uh, that's when the uh, the blood starts pumping. You get excited, you knowing that he can. He can make that guy miss stiff arm, outrun him, you know, whatever it may be, find a way to get around him and, and go for the long run. So uh, when that happened in the game, I turned around off, handed it off 
set up and, and saw him kind of round in the corner, gaining speed with, with one defender coming in and knew it could be a big one. Ryan Tannehill talking about Derrick Henry Day. The question was, are you amazed about what he does? That's why he said, like, no, I'm not amazed. I don't think any of us are amazed anymore, and that's the amazing part is he has made superhuman stuff look, he has made it look routine. He has made superhuman accomplishments to me look routine. Like, yeah, I'm just going to outrun people. Yeah, I'll just stiff arm people. I mean, he's averaging 120 yards a game, uh, which puts him on pace for 2,000 again this season. He just rushed for 2,000. Um, I saw a tweet yesterday from the Titans. I think he's third all-time in touchdown scoring, and he could break the record this year in his sixth year. Guy scores a lot of touchdowns. He had three more on Sunday, Blaine. But uh, interesting hearing his quarterback say, yeah, I'm, I'm not even amazed anymore at what I see him do. Yeah, because they know he's not human. Right. Yeah, yeah you know, he's from you know, Cyborg from somewhere else, <laughs> yeah. and they're used to seeing this Cyborg. Yeah, that's, just, that's who he is. <laughs> I mean – yeah, man, I know it's up to TV. I would not be trying to get in the foot race. Foot race with this kid, man. I just dive early, just like I missed him. Right. Hey, man, I took my shot. Yeah. Man, it's unbelievable. I love that feeling just to watch and see him take off that Tannehill has in the offensive line. And once he gets past them and takes off, you start running down cheering. Yeah. Because you know what's happening. It's about to happen. That guy has no shot in heck to tackle him. No DB, I don't care, Hall of Fame, got type player, I don't care who it is, they're going to get straight arm, run over, or run by. That's it, and it's going to happen. That's your options. Uh, A.J. Brown, I promised we'd play this as well. He was uh, interviewed on the, the fence line, so not on the podium, but the press got to talk to him today. Jim Wyatt actually had this audio, so credit to Jim Wyatt for getting this. He got asked about the drops. This is what A.J. Brown said. Uh, I kind of give myself, like, if something happened in my life, I give myself 48 hours to, you know, powder, whatever, and after then I move on from it. But that's not the case here. This is football. This is, this is something I do every day. Um, that's not going to be the last time I drop past, but um, definitely going to continue that. Was, was he trying to make a move before before uh, I caught the ball? And then uh, after that, it was a domino effect. I kind of let it get in my head and uh, just kept going. You know, so. I most definitely wish I could play today. You know, I, it, it's been a long couple of days for me, you know, but uh, it's a part of it. It's, it's a process, and, you know, it's ups and downs. So, you know. A.J. Brown on uh, the drops that he had. Tannehill might have had 400 yards passing. Uh, if mm. not, Well, he that might have put him over 400 yards, that particular yes. play right there. Uh, the long pass to A.J. that was dropped. There were a couple yeah, all others the ones, as well. That's the one that I – the other one's okay, but, but I, I couldn't live with that one there. That drop there because he, he was already making his move before he got it because he knew he was thinking about scoring. Yeah. Yeah. Got to make him. Got to will him in. A little rusty. He'll you get see? it, though. I, I'm not worried about him figuring things out. Oh, no. But that's because he's done it before. Has. Yeah. But if he hadn't, he'd be up there, uh, you know, right now like with uh, McDougal. Yeah, McDougal is bye-bye. Uh, the Dane Crook shake era has, has uh, started in earnest. He's available. That's Wait. a great ability to have availability. We'll be available to be back tomorrow, and we will. Right now it's time for 3HL on 104.5 The Zone. Next. And as always, happy Wednesday, but always be safe and peace. peace.